Well, good morning. Hi, everybody. It's great to see you this morning. If you're joining us online, I want to welcome you as well. My name's Lonnie. I'm one of the pastors here at Faith E. And this past week and weekend, we've had the opportunity to recognize our veterans. I want to take that opportunity this morning as well before we start with the message. And I just want to encourage anyone here this morning, or if you're online too, if you are currently serving in our military, or if you have served in the past, would you please stand this morning? We want to take the opportunity to recognize you for your service. Because of your sacrifice, we can have the freedoms that we do in our nation today, so I want to thank you for that. I'm also grateful for the time that we had this morning of communion and worship. I love that song that we just sang where it talked about, I plead the blood of Jesus. It's more than enough because it's so applicable to what we're discussing today, where God is a God of both justice and mercy. And I also appreciated the challenge this past week that Pastor Paul gave us to spend a lot of time in prayer and to fast this past Wednesday and to use this sackcloth as a reminder to prepare our hearts for communion this morning. And I know I was asking God to examine my heart and to bring me to repentance, which aligns with what we have been studying through the book of Jonah for the past five weeks, where we've referred to Jonah as Wrong way, Jonah, right? When he ran the wrong way away from God instead of going to the great city of Nineveh to preach against its wickedness. And then Jonah experienced God's mercy in the storm and the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah and to deliver him from death. And Jonah prayed to the Lord from inside the fish where he was reminded that salvation comes from the Lord. And then Jonah receives a second chance from God after being hurled and vomited. That just sounds so great, doesn't it? (laughs) After being hurled and vomited from the fish onto dry land, Jonah receives a second chance, and this time he obeys. He obeys, and he goes to Nineveh to to proclaim this really profound eight-word message to the Ninevites that says, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Wow, that's inspiring. It really is. (laughs) But the Ninevites believed They believed what God spoke through Jonah and they fasted and they put on sackcloth. They called urgently on God and they repented of their evil ways. And throughout this sermon series, we have been challenged, first of all, to consider how we all have a little bit of Jonah in us or we all sometimes run the wrong way. And we've also been challenged to consider who our Ninevites are to consider those that we may consider evil and who have hurt us, who have hurt others who are close to us. And it's a privilege this morning to have the opportunity to speak God's word. And throughout my time of prayer and study of this passage that we're discussing today, the Lord has been convicting my heart. It seems like that happens every single time because it does. The Lord's been convicting my heart and I've been praying that he also will speak to you today as well. And one thing that God does throughout Scripture is he uses questions to speak to our hearts. And so I want to start this morning with just a couple of questions to have you reflect on. And the first one is, when in your life have you experienced God's mercy? Think about that. 
Maybe it was when you first put your faith in Jesus and you recognize the forgiveness that he has of your sins. Or maybe it's the daily forgiveness that he provides for our sins. Maybe it's certain blessings or provisions that you've recognized in your life. Maybe it's certain relationships and people coming and speaking to you at that most opportune time when you needed it the most. Think about that. When in your life have you experienced God's mercy? And then secondly, who do you know that you want God to inflict his justice and wrath upon and not his mercy? In other words, who are your Ninevites? Think about that. Because the problem is that we want God to extend his mercy on us, but not on others who have hurt us or whom we consider our enemies. In our self-centered focused desires, God's mercy for me, but justice for thee, justice for my enemies. And we would rather see the others face the judgment of divine wrath for the evil they have done instead of praying for their repentance and God's salvation. And so we face this tension, this tension with God's justice and righteousness and holiness and also with his divine mercy and love. And so how can we wrestle with that tension? Well, the best way to wrestle with anything is to go to God's word. So let's do that this morning. If you brought your Bibles with you or if you have your scripture journals, please turn with me to the book of Jonah. Jonah's eight books back from the end of the Old Testament. There's also Bibles in the front seats if you don't have yours. If you would please grab your Bibles, turn to Jonah chapter four. And as soon as you find Jonah chapter four, please stand with me if you would in reverence to God and his word. And then just listen closely as I read Jonah chapter four, verses one through four. It says, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for how your word speaks to us, Lord. How you speak to our hearts through your word, to the questions that you ask us. Great is your faithfulness. Your mercies are new every morning and we are grateful that we have experienced your mercies. God, show us how to express that same mercy to others because we can't do it alone. We need your help. And so we pray, God, today that you speak to our hearts. Every person here, every person listening online, to me, Lord, speak to our hearts about you want, what you want us to take away. Change us, God. Transform us. Make us more and more like you, Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated.
So just from hearing that passage, do you already have a little bit of attention <laughs> that you can feel in your heart? Well, what's God telling you today as he teaches us through Jonah? Well, hopefully you made some observations just as we read that passage or even this past week when you studied this passage before coming in this morning. And I just want to mention some key observations that I noticed when I studied Jonah 4, 1 through 4. And the first was this word, but. That's what it starts with. The word, but, and we see it again in verse 4. It's a connective word. It's a contrast word, and we'll talk about that more later. And then we see the key word, angry, where Jonah talks about being angry, but also mentions how God is slow to anger. And we see where Jonah prays again, similar to how he prayed back in chapter 2 to the Lord. And we see the word, I, me, or my, at least six times in this passage, which tells us something. We also see Lord or Yahweh mentioned four times. So we see this conversation now happening between Jonah and Yahweh. And Jonah describes God's character in verse 2. And in verse 3, he asks the Lord to take away his life. That word life we see multiple times throughout Jonah. In chapter 1, the sailors cried out to the Lord to not die for taking Jonah's life. And then in chapter 2, the Lord brought Jonah's life up from the pit. And then in chapter 3, the Ninevites did not perish. The Lord did not take away their lives. He did not destroy them, but relented. Then the last thing I noticed is it ends with a question. And we'll talk more about that as well. And so what can we interpret as we study this passage? Well, there's multiple things, and hopefully you made your own interpretations as well and prayed about that. The first thing I noticed was Jonah's anger. Jonah's anger where he wants his own version of justice, and we see that right away in verse 1. And the passage starts with that word, but. Therefore, we must return to the previous verse to identify what that but is alluding to, where it's contrasting God's mercy with Jonah's demand for justice now. Because in chapter 3, we learn that God relents from his destruction of Nineveh, even though God told Jonah to proclaim, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And Jonah was hoping for that destruction. He was hoping for the destruction of Nineveh due to their evil wickedness. And as we'll learn next week, he went out to the east of the city to watch it happen. But something different occurred. And we read about that in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did, the Ninevites, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So then how does Jonah respond? I mean, does he respond by celebrating that the Ninevites repented and that God gave them a second chance? Yeah, no, we don't see that happening, do we? Or is his heart so grateful that destruction did not come upon these human image bearers of God? (laughs) Yeah, no, we don't see that either. What we see is we see Jonah becoming angry. And not only angry, but Jonah becomes hot angry. And here's his reaction to the repentance of the Ninevites and God's relenting when he says, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. And the word this and very wrong is the Hebrew word ra. And there's a play on words here as ra is the same Hebrew word that's used to describe the evil of the Ninevites in the previous chapter. And we also see that word ra mentioned multiple times throughout the book of Jonah. 
And Jonah himself is now characterized by Ra, by displeasure, by evil. And the Hebrew word translated as he became angry is hara, which means to be hot, furious, burning, inflamed. So Jonah is hot, angry. He is burning with anger. And another example of hot anger that we read about is in Genesis chapter 4, where Cain was the first person to be hot, angry. It says, And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain in his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, hara, and his face was downcast. And unfortunately, we know how the story goes. In Cain's hot anger, he took the life of his brother Abel by killing him. Anger has many faces. It's destructive. It's blinding. It makes us foolish and stubborn and proud and irrational. And oftentimes, we're the last to know just how irrational that anger makes us. So I want to show an example here of how irrational anger can be. A man who is so upset about events at his daughter's wedding that he just goes a little bit crazy. You might recognize this clip. Nina said, as long as I was escaping, would I mind escaping to the market and picking up something for dinner? Sure, that was all I needed, a busy supermarket. I needed to drive, mellow out, get my mind off the wedding. But mellowing out was not in the cards. Excuse me, sir, what are you doing? I'll tell you what I'm doing. I want to buy eight hot dogs and eight hot dog buns to go with them. But no one sells eight hot dog buns. They only sell 12 hot dog buns. So I end up paying for four buns I don't need. So I am removing the superfluous buns. Uh, I'm sorry, sir, but you're going to have to pay for all 12 buns. They're not marked individually. Yeah. You want to know why? Because some big shot over at the Wiener Company got together with some big shot over at the Bun Company and decided to rip off the American public. Because they think the American public is a bunch of trusting nitwits who pay for Kenny things security. they don't need rather than make a stink. Well, they're not ripping off this nitwit anymore because I'm not paying for one more thing I don't need. George Banks is saying no. Who's George Banks? Me! Oh, that clip cracks me up every time. And I, first of all, I got to say, that was not me this summer at my daughter's wedding. At least I hope it was not. Hopefully I didn't get that crazy. Did I, Claire and Jake? I hope I, okay, good, good. <laughs> but I know that that's a silly example, but it just shows how we can let the, our anger get the best of us and how it can impact our words and our actions that we say. Because the majority of our anger is sinful. But in Jonah, we can understand why Jonah was angry though, right? Remember that Nineveh is the center of the Assyrian Empire who were wicked enemies of Israel. Nineveh was a violent city, a city of blood who was known for horrific, horrific acts of cruelty. And so due to their evil ways, you could agree that they deserve judgment. 
and the Assyrians would eventually defeat the northern kingdom of Israel. And guess what? Jonah just had a hand in warning them of God's wrath so that they repented and God relented. And we can see a lot of examples of wickedness happening today, can't we? As we all know, Hamas recently attacked Israel. Hamas has murdered, tortured, and kidnapped 1,400 Israeli civilians in the last five weeks and injured around 7,000. And close to 240 people remain in Hamas captivity, including women and children. Well, what about in Ukraine? Hundreds of thousands of casualties have resulted from Russians' attack on Ukraine. And there are 27.6 million victims of human trafficking worldwide at any given time where traffickers force victims to perform labor or engage in commercial sex. And we've seen an increase in violence and murders in our own community over the past few weeks here in Billings. And many people here today or who are listening online have been victims of oppression, whether it be physical, domestic, emotional, sexual, financial. Others have experienced bullying at school or harassment in the workplace. We experience others being unfairly promoted or friends or family members getting preferential treatment that we believe they don't deserve or a peer getting a better grade because they cheated or teams winning that weren't supposed to win. We see injustice all around us and we want to see justice done, don't we? Well, our God is a righteous and holy and just God who does not turn a blind eye to wickedness and sin. Now, actually, in Scripture, we see many examples of God getting hot angry over the wickedness of people. But his is a righteous anger. And yet God also has compassion. He has compassion for what he has made and he calls for repentance. Oh no, he won't forgo justice, but he tends toward mercy. Therefore, we're living in this tension again of justice and mercy and we struggle to understand how they can go together. And we desire, we desire that God would judge the wicked and not show mercy. And we can become hot angry when our version of justice does not occur. Well, I know that I have felt such anger. I have been angry over a situation that's occurred over the past few weeks, and I've been convicted as I've been studying this passage. I have just wanted justice to be done. I mean, just take care of it. Just do it, Lord. But in the meantime, the emotional weight has been heavy. It's caused me to be up at night. It's impacted my relationships. And as I've studied this passage, it has challenged me in many, many ways. Where yes, justice needs to be done, but I also need to check my own heart in the process here. Because we all have a little bit of Jonah in us, right? In his commentary on Jonah, Philip Carey writes this. He says, we must be clear where Jonah gets it wrong. It's not as if we should never desire justice. No, it's good news when an oppressor is toppled and a terrorist is caught and a torturer is brought to justice. But, but the great danger is that instead of simply rejoicing at the vindication of the oppressed, 
we self-righteously identify ourselves as the oppressed, taking pity on ourselves and not on others. And in our imaginations, the Lord becomes a weapon in our campaign to destroy our enemies, an instrument of our own revenge rather than the righteous judge of all the earth. Whew, that's convicting, isn't it? I know that's convicted me. Well, was Jonah only angry at the Ninevites? No, Jonah was also angry at God, which brings us to our second interpretation, which is Jonah's prayer about God's character and his motives for his actions back in chapter one when he tried to flee to Tarshish are revealed. Because when the king of Nineveh issued his decree for everyone to fast and to put on sackcloth and to call urgently on God and to turn from their evil ways and violence, he used this phrase, who knows? Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. But here in chapter four, Jonah states, I knew, (laughs) I knew. And he says that in his prayer to the Lord. In verse 2, it says, he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. So again, we finally see Jonah's motive revealed for running the wrong way from God because he knew what God might do. He's angry because he knew that God would forgive the Ninevites if they repented of their evil ways and he didn't want that to happen. He didn't want to have any part of it. So Jonah's praying to God again as he prayed back in chapter two, but his prayer here is different. His prayer in chapter two was a prayer of praise and thanksgiving for how the Lord had shown Jonah mercy and brought his life up from the pit after Jonah was spiraling down. Jonah had been disobedient to the Lord, yet the Lord still rescued him. And Jonah acknowledged that salvation comes from the Lord. But now in chapter 4, it's a little bit different. Now Jonah expresses his anger to God because God extended the same mercy to the Ninevites that Jonah experienced. He had thanked God for his rescue, but he's now angry at God for forgiving the Ninevites. And Jonah focuses on himself, and that word I is used multiple times. And he did not believe the Ninevites deserved God's mercy. I mean, their sin was much worse than Jonah's, right? Well, Jonah knew that God is a compassionate, sovereign creator who acts as he pleases. And they're the same divine attributes that saved Jonah and the same attributes that save us sinners today. And we see God's character referenced the same way multiple times throughout the Old Testament. We see it in Exodus 34, where the Lord himself describes himself with these attributes to Moses after he forgave the Israelites for worshiping the golden calf. It says, and he, the Lord, passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And we see these same relational divine attributes of God referenced multiple times throughout the Old Testament. I have those listed in your bulletin. We see it in Numbers, in Nehemiah, in Psalm, and in Joel. 
And because God is a compassionate, gracious, and loving God, he relented from destroying the Ninevites, but instead he forgave them of their wickedness because they repented. They repented of their sin. And Jonah disagrees with it. It's personal. In his mind, the Ninevites did not deserve any mercy, and he wanted to see them destroyed and not experience God's compassion. And his response in verse 3 shows the depths of his despair. He says, Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah's basically saying here, over my dead body. Previously, God saved Jonah's life, and now Jonah asked God to take away his life. He would rather die than see the Ninevites forgiven. Now, the Ninevites would conquer the Israelites in a few years, and the northern kingdom would go into exile. Jonah's own people would eventually suffer, and he was a part of it as God spoke the words through him that warned them to repent so that God would relent. In chapter 4, verse 9, Jonah repeats a similar phrase as he did in verse 3 when he says, I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Therefore, we're going to be talking about this again next week. And we see a difference here in Jonah's response to God relenting and forgiving the Ninevites versus Moses' response in Exodus 32 when the Israelites worshiped the golden calf instead of God. In that example, Moses asked God to please forgive their sin, and if not, to blot them out. He's basically saying, save them, Lord, or destroy me. Well, in Jonah's case, Jonah is saying, destroy them, Lord, or destroy me. You see the difference? Well, is this only about Jonah? How does this apply to us today? I think everyone here today, everyone listening online, could probably understand that this is not just a story about Jonah. This is about us. And that brings us to the third interpretation, which is God's question in verse 4. God's question is, is it right for you to be angry? God is so good about asking us thought-provoking questions to examine our hearts. And he does it here for Jonah by challenging him to self-evaluate if it's right for him to be angry. And it's an interesting bookend that we see here in this passage where Jonah thought God did wrong and became angry. That's what we saw in verse 1 where Jonah thought that God did wrong and he became angry. But now God asked Jonah if it's right to be angry. And Jonah does not have a response. Well, God also asked Job many questions, which we can read about in Job chapter 38 through 41. Job was a man who experienced incomprehensible suffering. And in our human minds, we would have a right to be, he would have a right to be angry and demand such answers from God. Why, God? Why? And he asks questions about God's sovereignty. And God responds with 64 straight questions to Job. Questions such as, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? <laughs> or, have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Well, tell me if you know all this. Well, Job couldn't answer those questions because Job's not sovereign. Only God is. 
And the Lord is a God of both justice and mercy, and he can act according to how he wants. And when we only want strict justice done, we must examine our hearts as we all have a little bit of Jonah in us. In Joel chapter 2, it says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. And who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. So God showed mercy to Jonah, and he does the same for all of us today, and we can be grateful, and we can rejoice in him. And we must rend our hearts, we must tear and open our hearts and return to the Lord with all our heart because we are all sinners in need of God's mercy. We are all recipients of God's compassion and steadfast love and grace and mercy and slowness to anger and forgiveness of our wickedness, rebellion and sin. And God extends his mercy to undeserving sinners who look to him for salvation because Christ's sacrifice on the cross satisfied the penalty of our sin. Jesus died for our sins that we can have forgiveness and eternal life with him. And if you are here today, if you're listening online if you, and you have not experienced that salvation yet, I pray that today is the day that you recognize that you are a sinner like we all are, in need of a savior. And that you confess your sins and you place your faith in Jesus. And as we place our faith in Jesus, we can respond in gratitude and surrender to him as king. And part of that surrendering is expressing the mercy that he has given us onto others. But yet we often struggle to do so because we all have a little bit of Jonah in us. So where does this challenge you or convict you? Hopefully it compels us to evangelize, to share the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. As was mentioned previously in the sermon series, we talked about God being a God of second chances until he's not. Because God is the ultimate judge. And in 2 Peter 3, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. So instead of wishing wrath upon our enemies, may we pray for their salvation. As Jesus says in Luke 6, he says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. We are called to forgive others as we have been forgiven. Well, we can rejoice that God has extended his mercy upon us all as sinners. 
but can we also rejoice when God extends his mercy and salvation to others who repent of their sins, including those who have significantly hurt us and whom we view as evil or our enemies? It's not easy though, right? We can't do this on our own. I want to show a video though this morning about a woman who does extend mercy and forgiveness to a man who caused great harm to her and to her family. Listen to the story about Mary Johnson. Thank you, Lord. In a small apartment building in North Minneapolis, Thank a 59-year-old teacher's aide sings praise to God for no seemingly apparent reason. Indeed, if anyone was to have issues with the Lord, it would be Mary Johnson. For all you've done for me. He never had a chance. In February 1993, Mary's son, Loramian Bird, was shot to death during an argument at a party. He was 20 and Mary's only child. My son was gone. The killer was a 16-year-old kid named O'Shea Israel. I wanted justice. He was an animal. He deserved to be caged. And he was. Tried as an adult and sentenced to 25 and a half years, O'Shea served 17 before being recently released. He now lives back in the old neighborhood, close to Mary. This close. He lives next door. Next door. How a convicted murderer ended up living a door jam away from his victim's mother is a story not of horrible misfortune, as you might expect, but of remarkable mercy. A few years ago, Mary asked if she could meet O'Shea here at Minnesota's Stillwater State Prison. As a devout Christian, she felt compelled to see if there was some way, if somehow she could forgive her son's killer. What'd she say to you? I believe the first thing she said was, look, you don't know me, I don't know you, let's just start with right now. And I was befuddled myself. O'Shea says they met regularly after that. When he got out, she introduced him to her landlord, who, with Mary's blessing, invited O'Shea to move into the building. Today, they don't just live close, they are close. Clearly, Mary was able to forgive. Unforgiveness is like cancer. It will eat you from the inside out. It's not about that other person. Me forgiving him does not diminish what he's done. Yes, he murdered my son, but the forgiveness is for me. It's for me. For O'Shea, it hasn't been that easy. I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. I'm learning how to forgive myself, and I'm still growing towards, you know, trying to forgive myself and what it is I've done. To that end, O'Shea is now busy proving himself to himself. He works at a recycling plant by day and goes to college by night. He says he's determined to pay back Mary's clemency by contributing to society. In fact, he's already working on it, singing the praises of God and forgiveness at prisons, churches, to large audiences everywhere. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. Yes, I'm grateful. Which explains why Mary can sing her praise of thanks to her audience so of one. Steve Hartman, CBS yes, News, Minneapolis. For all you've done for me. It's a powerful story, isn't it? Mary first said, I wanted justice. He's an animal. He deserves to be caged. But she wanted to see if there was some way, somehow, that she could forgive her son's killer. And she states that forgiveness is a powerful thing. But she also says that me forgiving him does not diminish what he's done. 
yet now they live next door to each other. It's a powerful example of loving your neighbor, isn't it? (laughs) And the newscaster even ended the story with, Mary can sing her praise of thanks to our audience of one. Well, in the personal example that I shared previously, my anger has turned more towards just wanting to do the right thing. I've been praying about that. I've spent so much time in prayer. I fasted about the situation. And although justice and righteousness are still vital, God has been working in my heart to remove my own selfish desires and thoughts and to seek his will. And I have prayed for all involved in the situation that they may repent of any sinful ways and that God extends both his justice and mercy upon them so that healing can occur and that in my own heart may I extend the same mercy that God does. Because in Psalm 51 it says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors, transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. So Jonah applies directly to all of us today where we can become hot angry when we see wrongs occurring around us as well as to us and we want to see God's justice prevail. But yet we fail to remember that God is a God of both justice and mercy. So we risk becoming hot angry at God when we disagree with him extending mercy to those that we don't believe deserve it, even if they have repented of their sins in wicked ways. So how can we be more like Jesus and less like Jonah? God is sovereign, not us, and he acts as he pleases. Therefore, we should shift our prayers from anger to salvation, which brings us then to our call to action. And I want us to return back to one of those original questions again. Who are our Ninevites? Who are our Ninevites? And I'd encourage each one of us to identify those Ninevites, to confess our anger, to pray for their repentance and their salvation, and to extend mercy and forgiveness. Let's pray. Lord, first of all, we are grateful for the mercy that you extend upon us. We don't deserve it, Lord. But yet in your love, your compassion, your graciousness, you being slow to anger, your faithful and steadfast love towards us, you care enough to save us, to rescue us from our sins. And we say thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that. Thank you for the mercy that you have extended upon us. God, continue to grow us. Work in our own hearts. Help us to see those areas where we lack compassion towards others. Help us to see those Ninevites in our own lives that we need to extend forgiveness towards, that we need to pray for their salvation, that they can repent and come to know you. Jesus, that is our prayer. Continue to work in our hearts. We can't do this alone. Holy Spirit, we need your strength. We need your patience, your forbearance, and your mercy that we can then extend out to others. Thank you for your loving mercy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Please stand with me if you would as we come to a close. I just want to say Micah 6, verses 6 to 8 over us this morning. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? No, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. I love you all. Have a great week.